I will be reading verses 7 through 12. Hear, for this is the word of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. The word of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word this morning. There have been various times throughout human history where there has been a call to fight. A level of injustice occurs and society plummets into war. Man says enough is enough, the lines have been crossed, and the battle plans have been drawn. And unfortunately, sometimes this is how we treat the church. We often confuse the church for the world and the world for the church, and we draw lines in the sand and draw up our own little battle plans to stop all those who have treated me unjustly. It is a shame because the church is supposed to be made up of saved sinners being transformed into a just people. But how far we are from total transformation and how impatient we can be with one another. Uh, There is a time where we need to speak out. But more times than not, due to our sin, we tend to jump the gun. James touches on exactly this. As Christians, we suffer from uh, many trials due to sickness, disease, bodies that progressively or digressively fall apart, and we suffer at the hands of others for the sake of that, uh, for the sake of Christ. But not only that, but we also suffer at the hands of other Christians as well. Examples can be brought up throughout church history. Christians uh, killing Christians and calling the other Christians over there non-Christians and vice versa. Oftentimes it's over agendas other than the kingdom of God. It's like when Paul says, If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We can have all the zeal for the right things. But with no love, there is no gain. Our zeal for God must be tempered with love for one another. And right after that, what does Paul say? Love is patient and kind. 
But the question is, patient for what? What are we patiently waiting for? Or better, who are we waiting for? Because there must be an end goal if we are to be patient. There must be something in the horizon that is rising that will bring light to our darkness. If not, what's the use of being patient? Get your revenge now. Blow your enemies out of the water. Or give up and give in to your sin. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. No. God, through this letter, is calling us to patiently wait and to live now in light of what we are waiting for in the future. James says to wait for an end to all of our suffering. And he gives two admonitions or or two corrections in the meantime while we are waiting. Because this is what it looks like to patiently wait for the Lord. So first... He speaks to those who have been oppressed or mistreated in some way by others. Whether it's the, uh, the rich landowner or your boss who has robbed you of your money. Or the divisive slanderer within the church. It could be so-called friends who are not friends at all. It could be the bully who tries to threaten you with intimidation and vile criticism. James says... Be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, that is what we are waiting for. That is what we are waiting for, for our vindication, for true justice at the hand of the Lord. This doesn't mean we don't seek to solve our problems now. But when there is no answer, as far as we can see it, We are to be patient for the true problem solver and just judge. We are to endure our hardships knowing that He is the only one who can transform our difficult situations. Then He gives His first example of patient long-suffering, referring back to the prior passage speaking of the one who is oppressed. Here it is the oppressed farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Speaking of the changes of season in Israel, when the rain comes after the sowing and right before the harvest. The rain happens to fall at the right time. My family comes from a place in the uh, Sahara region of Africa where there are only two seasons, dry and wet. And sometimes it's not all that wet. And this can cause a severe, severe drought in the land throughout all ten islands. And this would lead to starvation at a massive amount. Massive amounts of people dying if the rain doesn't come at the right time. And it became part of the culture to pray to God for rain. And the farmers had to patiently wait for it. 
Talk about total reliance upon God. Some of you can relate to this. Sometimes a farmer has to wait patiently because there is nothing else to do but to wait. Now think about all the times in our lives where we had no control and no choice but to wait for God. And when Scripture speaks of the early and late rains, it is speaking of God's faithfulness in bringing rain upon the earth at the right time in order to bring forth growth. That we may gather the grain in the promised land. It is speaking of a future event when God's faithfulness would appear as rain upon dry soil to eventually bear its fruit in due season. This is speaking of God's faithfulness to us in our lives and throughout our lives. No matter our suffering, God is faithful all the way up until He returns. And what we gather is not the fruit that shows up quickly and then vanishes after a period of testing. But this is speaking of fruit that will remain into eternal life. And this fruit can only come from God. All that we are waiting for, whether it is the mending of a broken relationship or marriage, or vindication when we are mistreated in the church or in society, or even the forgiveness of sin, maybe it is us who have mistreated someone. All of this comes from God. As He is faithful and He is to be trusted. He will bring the answers and solutions to our problems. He will do it sooner in this life or when He returns. He has promised that He will reverse our misfortunes of this life. And beloved, while we are waiting, it says, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is why he says, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This means to strengthen our resolve to follow Christ. Strengthen your faith in Him during difficult circumstances or in your struggle against sin. Because His returning glory can be at any moment. It could be any minute. And as He has promised, He is bringing His rewards with Him to repay each one for what He has done. We usually think of the coming of the Lord only in regard to judgment. We think of the apocalypse and how the world Uh, displays the apocalypse to be this day of total destruction. But let us not forget. Let us not forget that the coming of the Lord is also speaking of the day when He will deliver His saints as well. When He will deliver His people. So know this. He is with you. He is with you. Even now, strengthening you, encouraging you, 
by word and sacrament applied by His Spirit. As a child of God, His return ought not to be fearful. But we are to await His return with a great expectation of a reward for our patient long-suffering. Deliverance is near, and He will wipe away every tear. And so secondly, this should encourage certain attitudes in the Christian. It should encourage our decision-making in light of His return. Even though we have passed from death to life, and there is no condemnation for the Christian, we are to live in light of God's judgment. Not his condemnation, but what pleases him. Not only are we to patiently wait for the Lord to bring the great reversal of all things, but we are also to be patient with one another as well as we await his return as a just judge. He addresses the sins of the tongue once again in the rest of this passage because this is what we are called to do in the meantime. As a church, in our relationships with one another, he first says, do not grumble against one another, brothers. Because in high-pressure situations and circumstances, which we are all too familiar with these days, whether a stressful work environment, stressful home environment, poor health, a plague, or pestilence, fear of persecution, all of these pressures can lead us to taking it out on one another. And grumbling against each other in the church, to to grumble is to groan or to sigh. And it comes in the form of a mumble under one's breath, in a complaint, maybe a harsh criticism or judgment, and usually it's behind someone's back. Oh, not him again. He says, do not grumble against one another. Why? So that you may not be judged. He's going back once again to asking us to look at that huge log in our own eyes. And the measure that we use to judge others will be used To judge us. But he says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door, meaning he is always near, meaning he is with us, and he sees all things, he sees everything that we do, and the fact that he is coming. If our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ and his return as the just judge and avenger of all wrongs done to us, Why do we grumble? Why do we make wrongful judgments? Why do we moan or sigh over our own brothers and sisters as if they are an annoyance to us? Because this is what it means to bear the cross. We must deal with other people. Paul says we bear their burdens and we bear patiently with with others. 
And we even bear oppression because we know that the Lord hears our cries. And He is always near to deliver us. And if we resort to harsh grumbling, growing into hatred and murder, we are in danger of judgment. So what He is saying is in light of Christ's nearness, as He stands at the door, as the true judge, we ought to examine our own behavior. Because He is always with us. And He always sees what we do. And what we think. And what our motives are. He sees all things. And now He gives two examples of suffering and patience that we ought to follow. And it is ironic that He gives these two examples. First, the prophets... Those who were grumbled against and suffered at the hands of others, even at the hands of Israel. We think about it. The people of God. God's own people. The prophets suffered under them. They even died. They were killed for speaking in the name of the Lord, following Jesus. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They are considered blessed. Not because they lived happily ever after. But because they were in a blessed fellowship with the Lord. They belonged to the Lord. And they were blessed because they knew No one could harm them. Despite what people have done to them physically. They trusted in that. And their only hope of salvation and deliverance was from the hand of the Lord and no one else. They didn't rely on the local politicians to save them. They relied on the Lord. No one else would be there for their ultimate deliverance. That was what they were looking forward to, the day when the Lord would deliver them. And know this, from their example, doing the Lord's will will lead to suffering. It will lead to some level of persecution. And at times we must wait for the Lord to intervene and totally transform the dire situation we may be in. Think of where we are now in our country, in our nation. And the growing hatred and hostility toward Christians. We need to be reminded that the Lord is with us. That He will deliver us as we stand firm on the rock which is Christ. As we stand firm on what Christ has called us to do. And as we do His will. Not the world's will and what they want us to do. But as we do the Lord's will. It will lead to suffering. At some level. Whatever that may be. Secondly. The example of Job. 
who certainly suffered at the hands of the enemy, having his family and all of his possessions taken away. And he suffered at the hands of his friends as well, who were supposedly there to encourage him. But they didn't. They blamed him. Now the irony is, of course, neither Job nor the prophets were innocent of grumbling. They weren't innocent of complaining or impatience with God. They had a straightforward and honest relationship with their God, confessing when they were hurting, asking the Lord, why? In fact, they struggled in their fellowship with God, like many of us. It was genuine, but no doubt it was a struggle. The effects of sin clouded their fellowship with their God, as it is with us. They doubted, they questioned, and at times defied God. But despite their imperfections, Job and the prophets could rest in the hope of a faithful God. They rested in the hope of the coming of the Lord, like when Job said, Yet in my flesh I shall see God. Why is that important? Why is it important for Job or for us that we see God? Because it transforms all of our problems. Think of it. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we will see God, will one day transform our current situations, wherever we are, into good. In fact, better, into glory. Whether it is in the face of persecution, illness, disease, or even in the face of our own sin. This is our hope. This is the grounds of why we are to remain steadfast in the faith. faith, Because there is a sure reward when we see our Lord. But that is not all it means When Job said, that in my flesh I shall see God. What is also meant by that is that he will see God's purposes unfold in his life into eternity. An example would be when Job experienced, as we read earlier, a worldly restoration of all that he lost. After that happened, he said, Now my eyes see you. Meaning he sees God's goodness and the purpose of the Lord in his life. He repents in dust and ashes for doubting him. Then the Lord rebukes Job's friends after he prays for them. Then what happens? As we we read, God restores his fortunes plus more. We see the patient and long-suffering of Job with his friends and that only is reflecting a patient and long-suffering God who is long-suffering with us. God and His gospel is long-suffering with us forgiving us of our sins seven times, 77 daily. So we ought to be patient 
and long-suffering with one another. We see the steadfastness of his faith. But what was done in Job's life was to show us not only Job's faith. It's not just, it's not about Job and how faithful he was. And how compassionate and merciful he was. But it is about God. And his long suffering. And his steadfastness. And his faithfulness towards us. It is about God and his compassion and mercy toward us. All that happened to Job and all that happens to us. Is to refine us, to mold us, to shape us, and to show God's purposes and God's love toward us. And on top of that, He promises to restore us even more so than Job. It could well happen in this life, that is, the little moments of restoration or healing, but it ultimately, and most assuredly will happen when Christ returns. Not only will he return to judge, but he will return and show compassion and mercy undeservedly to us. Let us not forget that. That his return is a hope of a return where he will show us compassion and mercy. Let us not forget also the purpose of the Lord as it was demonstrated in Christ's patient, long suffering, bearing the cross, dying, and then rising from the dead. He restores us and will restore us totally when He comes back. Also, something to note about these examples. Is that these examples weren't silent about evil. They didn't endure suffering and witness sin and kept quiet about it. Patience and long suffering doesn't mean we are silent in light of sin. And in light of evil in this world. In fact, they were known to call out evil. This was the prophet's role. They spoke out against injustices done to others. He says, do not grumble. He doesn't mean to be silent when you are mistreated. Grumbling is often done under one's breath or behind others' backs. But here he is admonishing us or calling us to be truthful in our speech with one another. And this is exactly where he goes next. Because another sin of the tongue that we may fall into, especially during high pressure and difficult situations, is swearing an oath in the name of God too quickly. It is the opposite end of grumbling. It falls under the category of flattery, saying something too quickly just to please someone else or to make a problem go away. Here he calls it an oath. An oath that we are either not intending to keep 
or have no idea whether or not we will be able to keep it, which is equivalent to lying and taking the Lord's name in vain. James echoes what Jesus taught as he begins to close his letter. My brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now he is not forbidding all oath-taking here. Because there are many instances in scripture that speak of taking oaths, both God and man taking oaths. And for instance, today we would need to take an oath in court. But these oaths demand truthfulness when taking an oath. James and Jesus are limiting these oaths to personal oaths in our personal relationships. Since man is limited and we don't know the future, we ought not to take vows we can't keep. Because this may be just sweet talk or flattery to get something out of a relationship. Swearing falsely, invoking God's name, is taking His name in vain and bearing false witness. And it comes from a presumptuous heart, presuming that we can fulfill something that we possibly can't. And once we make an oath, we can't get out of it so easily as Jesus is Jesus teaches when the Pharisees were were trying to get out of their oaths that they have taken, swearing on lesser things. If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You see what they were concerned with there is what is of value to them. Not what was of value to God. They were trying to pull a fast one. But he also said that by our words we will be justified. And by our words we will be condemned. Especially in taking these false oaths. Promising things in the name of God that we can't keep. Now you're probably thinking this is not common for us in the church. We don't usually do this in our uh, day-to-day relationships or, or friendships that we have in the church. But there is an example. In the church where we do take oaths. That we do take a a vow. Which we think of our church membership. When we stand up here and we do take vows in relation to one another. And grumbling against one another would be a violation of those vows. Flattery or promising a false oath would be a violation of those vows. So he's calling for truthfulness in our speech. This is what some would call straight talk or keeping it real. No beating around the bush with passive aggressive condescending speech or on the opposite end flattery in order to receive something. Maybe receive a smooth ride and not having too much trouble in our own lives. Because that would be just as worse as grumbling. Instead, as Paul says, we are to speak the truth in love, genuinely. So much so that our word can be trusted without making false promises. A simple yes or no should be enough 
for others to trust us. In all this, you're saying, well, this sounds just like day-to-day moralism. I'm just supposed to do these things. No, this is all in light of who God is. This is based on the character of God himself, who we are to reflect. God swore by himself to Abraham the promises of the gospel. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promises. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. And it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Our God, who kept his vow, who kept his word before the foundation of the world to save us from our sins, is trustworthy. And so he calls his people to be trustworthy as well. In closing, I would like to remind you of these promises of God and the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, what he vowed and how it is based on his character and who he is and the fact that he will not take back his word. He holds on to us and he preserves us so that we will be able to hold on to him. And to hold on to his promises until Christ returns. I don't know what you might be going through today. I won't claim to relate to everything. You may be going through difficult circumstances and difficult trials. But we have an assurance. We have an assurance from the pen of a man who went through some of the worst of beatings, physical and emotional persecutions, physical illness as well, you name it, Paul went through. The disciples went through. The apostles went through. James even went through these sufferings. And we know that Paul knew how to suffer and he was taught by God to wait patiently. And he asks us, Also to wait patiently. And he calls all that he went through. He says to endure this light momentary affliction. Whether it is heavy or light. In our own estimation. It is all light for God. Nothing's too heavy for God to bear. He says to endure this light momentary affliction. And get this, it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And he says, in the meantime, according to this passage, as we live in light of that truth, he says, do not grumble against one another, but speak the truth in love to one another. As brothers and sisters in Christ, Let our yeses be yes and our noes be no. And so be it. Amen. Let us pray.